Hello, Dave. Hello, Ollie. Hello, hello. Welcome to Sustainable Thirty Four. Ooh, how are you? Very well, thank you. Very well. This week, I'm fine too. Thanks. I Actually, ju- I'm I- not. But thanks for asking <laughs> anyway. I've just <coughs> given up asking. Oh, uh, oh, has he got a little tickly cough? Yes, I do. Little. I am full of lurgy, and I'm not moaning about it. Clearly. All right. Well, well done for being here. You did better than me a few weeks ago, skiving off. This week, coming up, we have got a theme of money. Money, money, money. Must be money in the rich man's world. Yay, money, 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 money. Mo money, mo problems. Mm, uh, what sort of money are we talking about? Well, first of all, we will be talking about David Cameron, who's being a bit rich... Uh, Yeah, yeah. and then we're going to talk about billionaires um, and whether they're like able to help in a whole climate change thing because billionaires are also a bit rich. Uh, We'll be talking about a nasty company who's becoming considerably less rich. Ah ha 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 ha! And um, we'll be talking about a thrifty person who's who's, who doesn't need to be rich. And uh, well, the sixty-four billion dollar question is. Is Jeremy Corbyn's brother a complete and utter dick? <laughs> so stand by for answers and all of that. We are your friendly little environment podcast about why everything to do with the planet is confusing and why can't people stop it being so. We do work for environmental charities, but these are very much our own views. So if anything we say makes your mouth fall open and your tongue loll out, <laughs> sorry about that. Put it back in and talk to us separately, eh? but not to anyone else. Quite right. All right. Shall we crack on? On we crack. Sustainable of the Week. So, Sustainable of the Week. This is the section every week where we have a little look on the green horizon and see who's been talking guff. And this week, we've got the guffmeister general, David Cameron himself. What's he going to done, Dave? Well, so over in, you may have noticed if you've been paying attention anywhere, that over in Paris which is in France, and if you're not sure where, go and listen to episode 32 for more. Over in Paris, (laughs) they are having a great big mahoosive shindig about climate change, and they have got all of the world's big swinging dicks together in (laughs) one place. Uh, I believe it is the single largest gathering of world leaders all in one place ever, they're saying. Wow. Which is quite impressive. So you've got your biggest, biggest, biggest uh, bosses of everything, like Barack Obama and Narendra Modi and President Xi of China, and you've got your teeny-weeny little ones, like, did you see the the historic picture of the handshake between the premiers of Israel and Palestine? that was totally ruined by the Prime Minister of Comoros standing in the middle of it pulling a funny face. <laughs> no, I didn't see that. Uh, well, check that out. Anyway. Oh, amazing. Um, also there is Prime Minister David Cameron of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. And everyone got a little speech. And Mr Cameron got all upset and miffed because it took ages to get round to him. They were spending all this time talking to the bosses of America and France and the UN. And David Cameron's sitting there with his ankles getting all itchy. And he wants to stand up and say his bit, but the time is ticking on. You know how it is. And, you know, he's sitting there. And by the time he stands up, he's got the ump. 
right? Oh dear. And he and the first thing he says pretty much is, well, you know, I'm sure you don't need to hear from me because you've heard from everyone else. But I suppose if you're still interested and you're still here, this is what I think. And <laughs> what wait, you're waiting for people to go, oh no, Dave, Dave, don't. Oh, Dave, come oh, on, no, you are no, don't important. be like that. No, yeah. we are interested in what you've got to say. Yeah, well, anyway, what he had to say was a load of arse. <laughs> but let's just imagine for a moment what we would have to say to our grandchildren if we failed. We'd have to say it was all too difficult. And they would reply, well, what was so difficult? All I'm saying is that instead of making excuses tomorrow to our children and grandchildren, we should be taking action against climate change today. So, um, <laughs> I hesitate to ask. What do you make of that then, all? I make of it. Uh, well, it's made me angry. That's what's happened. The mm. idea that he can stand up, the bare-faced cheek of him... Spoon-faced cheek. Spoon-faced cheek. Condom-headed cheek of him standing up in front of world leaders going, what would our grandchildren say if we didn't do good things on climate? While at the same time, he's knackering climate action at home week after week. I mean... Uh-huh. It's beyond parody. Uh, yeah, except we are going to parody it. So what we're <laughs> going to do is we're going to point out some of the ways in the last six months. Should we just stick to the last six months or do you want to go further back? Maybe go further back if you like. Oh. Given that Mr Cameron thinks we shouldn't be making excuses, we're going to point out some of the ways that his government has not been making excuses for cutting the green crap. I want us to be the greenest government ever. The Prime Minister, who once visited the Arctic Circle on what was dubbed a Hugger Husky trip, is reported to have made a shock U-turn and raged against green taxes on energy bills. We're not going to save the planet by putting our country out of business. It's claimed a senior Tory source said, the Prime Minister is going round number 10 saying, we've got to get rid of all this green crap. We're going to cut our carbon emissions no slower, but also no faster than our fellow countries in Europe. Some of his decisions he's made recently, such as cutting support for solar panels on home and industrial projects, scrapping the Green Deal, cutting support for wind turbines, putting a new tax on renewable energy, increasing subsidy for diesel generators. Is it any wonder that the chief scientist of the United Nations Environment Programme has criticised Britain for going backwards on renewable energy? Well, that's yeah, that sounds like um, no one making any excuses to me. Um, that sounds like a leader of, of um, the United Kingdom fully committed to doing whatever it takes to make sure his grandchildren don't criticise him about being a climate dick. Yeah, assuming he doesn't leave them in the pub. Oh dear me, I need to calm down, Dave. I need to I need to take a nice warm bath with some billionaires. What? You need to take a warm bath with, you want to have a bath with Richard Branson, yes? Yeah? Alright. So you may be confused, listener, as to what the hell we're talking about. We are talking about some rich people who this week um, have sort of gone on the offensive about tackling climate change and basically said, A, we're going to give away all of our money, not just to tackling climate change, but to doing other things as well, which are good and fluffy um, and charitable. And B, um, we're going to sort of kickstart a massive uh, research and development sort of investment into 
um, breakthrough technology, they're calling it, aren't they? Sort of this idea that existing technologies are insufficient to transform our energy needs into clean energy and cheap energy. So we need rich people to give loads of money to make it all exciting and lovely and marvellous in the future. That's what they've been doing. Yeah, so this thing, this uh, Breakthrough Energy Coalition, it got launched in Paris at the Mahusif Climate Shindig this week by a whole bunch of billionaires, including Bill Gates, who is a rich computer man, Richard Branson, who is a rich music industry man primarily, isn't he? And That's how Mark it all started, yeah, yeah. Off of Facebook, and we'll talk about him maybe in a little bit, and loads of other people as well. And what they've basically done is they've said, we, uh, we think it's great that governments uh, are putting loads of money into clean energy research and development and there's a separate thing called mission innovation whereby 20 governments including the uk and the us have pledged to double the amount they spend and the billionaires have said we'll match that and we'll chuck in loads of cash as well so the idea is that you've got governments and big massive billionaires coming together to chuck an absolute metric bastard load of money at researching new clean energy technologies and um there's all sorts of stuff you can say about whether or not we should leave the fate of the world in the hands of a bunch of exceptionally rich white people we can talk about that in a sec because i know i know we have views um but all everything else aside i do have to say i think it's a pretty cool thing why this, why is right? it cool well i'll tell you why i think it's cool right because there sometimes i now i'm gonna say a load of stuff that you're not going to like right you sure so yeah so <laughs> sometimes maybe don't say it <laughs> no you see i have to say mm, that hasn't doesn't usually stop me does it? and it's not going to stop me today or through either um so sometimes i catch myself looking at a solar panel or a wind turbine and thinking Oh, you know what that is? That's like the ZX spectrum of renewable energy. That's like the Sinclair C5 of renewable energy. And what they're going to do is they're going to look Literally at Literally no one knows what kids. you mean by that. Well, exactly. And that's the point, isn't it? <laughs> that our kids and our grandkids are going to look at the stuff that we right now, you and I, you in particular, spend a very, very, very long time banging on about how wonderful and majestic and futuristic it is. <laughs> and why can't all governments just get behind these little thin sheets of silicon and great big mahusive spinning eco crucifixes of death and uh, spent ages talking about that and actually the technologies that are really going to get us out of a hole probably don't exist yet so look i think it's a good idea but do you think that billionaires coming to the rescue is generally a reason to be cheerful because there was that other thing, wasn't there? Mark Zuckerberg off of Facebook last mm. week said he was going to give basically all of his money away, $45 yeah. billion dollars he was going to channel into this for-profit, um, as I understand it, uh, charitable foundation-y... No, not, char not a charitable foundation. That's the point, isn't it? There, there was a, there was a typically snarky Guardian article about it, yes. going like, "Well, God, they this, ruin everything." This like multi multi billionaire giving away ninety nine percent of his fortune actually isn't really doing it for like totally perfect kitten saving reasons. So I don't think it's a good thing. Oh, grow up! Like, it's just like it probably right. isn't as perfect as it could be, but it's still. It's a big announcement that he didn't have to make on the birth of his child, did he? Um, and I think it, it's some pretty good mu mood music. And I'm sure he's getting some lovely PR out of it, and that's half of the point. But yeah, who cares? <laughs> 
There's a, there's a handful of, uh, of teeny tiny, extremely small and withered, very rich old white men <laughs> who are behind all of this. And, and Warren Buffett is one of them. This is, he's set up that thing called the Giving Pledge, which is oh, yeah. where they try to get billionaires to agree to give up to 50% of their dosh over to good causes. And it's got your Gates and, and, and Mark Zuckerberg's in it. Um, and Warren Buffett, you know, people said to him, well, is it actually a good thing that essentially you get to decide huge chunks? of how the world's public policy rolls out and he says well what's the what do you want us to do should we just hang on to it then sorry oh i'm sorry you don't want my cash no you're right we'll, we'll hang on to it that's what we'll do we'll spend it on fast cars and loose women and 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 giving heroin to the young that's what we'll do <laughs> um and, and you know what, what what's the alternative so if, if people have earned all this massive great wadja money and you could argue that they shouldn't have been able to walk to do that but if they have then better they give it away than nothing yes yeah i think in the short term i would, I would prefer that these rich people were putting their money into useful things than not um i don't think that means you you sign up to the view that only rich people are going to save us and that you know lovely capitalism that makes a very small number of people unfathomably wealthy is mm. the way to save the economy and to, to bring people out of poverty and to fix climate change and everything so i think it's possible to hold those two positions i bloody hope it is because because <laughs> i am the point is ladies and gentlemen that Greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works. But, you know, we ultimately, capitalism, you know, making an awful lot of money out of unending growth, we know that's a big problem for getting to a place where the ice caps aren't melting and where people are not locked into endless cycles of poverty so you know Naomi Klein and another sort of friend of the babble Naomi Klein I should add yep. uh, another yep. sort of left-wing anti-capitalist firebrands I think still probably have a point you know this system has got to be has got to be changed capitalism capitalism our country has capitalism but there oh. is a counter argument isn't there right is and that is yeah oh yes gonna yes Brace yourself, it's mm. coming. Um, and the argument goes, if, if your Zuckerbergs and your Gateses and your Richard Bransons want to give all their money away, well, firstly, they should pay massive, great one-pin wadges of tax on it. And secondly, they should give it to governments and not give it you know, directly to the things they want to fund because you end up with just a tiny number of people deciding essentially whether we cure polio or not or whether we cure mm. polio or rheumatoid arthritis or cancer or whether we fix climate change or AIDS depending basically on what they think is the right thing mm. to do and uh, while it seems a bit you know picky to say actually we'd like to do all that stuff please um there is there is something <laughs> in that. that picky oh, i suppose <laughs> i think it's fair enough to say i'd rather people didn't die from all of the debilitating diseases not just a few of them <laughs> yeah maybe you're right I'll, I'll shut up in a minute, but I'm, uh, I'm on my hobby horse and I'm riding it around, my wee hobby horse. And my Your wee, wee hobby, hobby horse, horse. My wee hobby horse. Oh, yeah, yes. We had this last week, didn't we? We did, and it's, I've seen a doctor and it's still there. <laughs> one of the great uh, lies, essentially, or one of the great self-deluding myths that we are told and that governments, including the UK's, like to peddle is that, oh, we'd love to do something about climate change, but there isn't the money. We just can't afford it, you know. Um, but actually, the world is dripping in wealth. It isn't orgiastic, splendiferous, 
carnage of wealth. There is so much money in the world in general, right? And the vast majority of it is in the hands of about six people, all of which are called, like, Richard or Quentin, right? And basically, if we just turned up at their house with pitchforks and guns and gaffer tape and said, give us all your bloody money, and took that money and used it to make all the kittens safe and put solar panels on all of the world's houses, we'd fix climate change and save the kittens and we wouldn't have had to do anything else. So we should do that. Okay, so now you've decided you do like solar panels, which is an interesting U-turn within the space of a podcast. Didn't say I didn't like solar panels. (laughs) I'll let that go. And you're advocating full-scale revolution, um, which I'm I'm fine with, and I'm sure everyone is fine with, including the police. Um, Yeah, yeah, look. What, the pop group? No. All right, fine. Yeah, no, I'm sure Sting would sign up to this um, agenda as well. Uh, I don't know. There, there is a there is a fundamental. I think the point you are taking a very long time to make is that mm. there is a fundamental lack of democracy um, about just just investing in rich people the responsibility um, and hope that 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 stuff can be fixed. Yeah, um, and that governments are there for a reason. They're elected, whether you like them or not. You know, there is a democracy of some description in some countries, um, and therefore giving these people the money to make decisions on behalf of the people they represent is probably a better way of going about it. Now, I think that our government, our current government, would make a terrible, terrible mess if you gave them all of Mark Zuckerberg's money. They'd just chuck it into another couple of fracking rigs and maybe a nuclear deterrent and like something to just poke Jeremy Corbyn with repeatedly. Um, so I don't think necessarily I want them to have all that money, but probably in the long term, it's a better way of doing things. The single most coherent argument against just letting very rich capitalists fund what happens to innovation is that what you're going to get is stuff that capitalists like. And if you think Mm. that capitalism is a great big wheezing ball bag of death, then you're not (laughs) going to be particularly happy with the outcome, are you? If if actually, as your man Russell Brand might have said, you know, if what you want is to smash the system, then sitting back and letting the people who've got rich offer that system decide what direction it takes probably ain't going to get you very far. Prediction time. So, prediction time is my favourite section of the show. This is where we whap our crystal balls on the table, stare into them and try to work out what's going to happen in the coming week. And, first of all, we have to see how we got on last week. And I made a prediction and I said this. My prediction is that by the time of the next episode... uh, David Cameron will have been directly criticised by another world leader at the climate talks. Mm, so that hasn't happened, has it? Yeah, it has. No. It has, because no. the leader of space um, is NASA, <laughs> and yes. James Hansen um, is a NASA scientist, and he said... Um, no. What? No. No, he did. Space is not a country. Well, we're going to live there soon, aren't we? So... It, well, it's still not a country, even when we live there. Well, even it, like it as Dr. Be. Carl says, go back and listen to episode 23B. Even as Dr. Carl says, we're going to go and live in space. It's not a country. You can't have it. I can't have it. Well, I'll tell you what he said, and then you can decide. James no, Hansen, it doesn't matter what James he said. James Hansen, I can't hear you. James Hansen 
former head of NASA's Goddard Institute. God, see, he's got God. I mean, he's basically God. He said of the UK's dash for gas, he's, well, he said, he said this, didn't he, Arabella? Well, that's screwing your children and grandchildren, because if you do that, then there's no way to avoid the consequences of multimetre sea level rise. Oh, hello, Arabella. Blimey, I haven't heard you for a while. It's because all these politicians keep coming up with babble on the record that, we, um, that we're actually able to use actual clips from them. So, yeah. hello, Arabella. Hello, Arabella. Nice to see you. Nice to see you. Um, so, OK, well, look, two point things to me. say. It's not a point for you is the first thing to say. It's still 4-2 to you, but you're not having a point because you wouldn't let me have uh, burning someone who wasn't George Osborne on a bonfire and counting that. So you're not allowed to have someone who isn't a head of state and count it as a head of state. Can't have it. But um, what I do think is interesting is this intervention because... It has, Dr. James Hansen is a bloke who has been very outspoken, extremely knowledgeable, and as we will come on to in a little bit, actually knows about science, unlike some other people who like to talk about climate change and stuff. And it was very interesting that people are criticising gas in Paris, in the big mahusive climate mm. shindig, isn't it? Because um, that's what your mealy-mouthed, sort of half-ambitious political types like to say is going to fix us. But it's a fossil fuel. We talked about Amber Rudd a couple of episodes ago, saying that, yeah, we will close down all the coal-fired power stations, but only if we can replace them with gas-fired power stations. So, you know, we will stop uh, murdering squirrels as long as we have lots of pine martins to murder instead with the basic <laughs> thing. Because we love murdering. Saying. Because we love, basically, we are still going to murder. Don't try and tell us that we're not. But the things that we're going to murder might be different, right? Um, and so it's it's very good. And um, can I make my prediction? Because it's 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 uh, structurally useful. <laughs> yeah, well, in that case, please go ahead. My prediction is that they're going to make a deal in Paris, right? That's not the prediction, because Whoop I don't think that's a big surprise. But I think <laughs> that I will ask you at the next available opportunity, I will sit on you and tickle you, and I'll say, tell me whether you think that deal that has been made, honestly now, honestly, tell me all whether you think that is a decent deal or not. And you are going to have to admit that you think that it is. <laughs> Yeah, all right. Good luck with that. That's my prediction. It's the first prediction I've made that's actually a prediction about you. But uh, I think, I reckon the deal is you're going to have to grudgingly say, you know what, considering everything, that's all right. I cannot wait for this to come to pass. <laughs> so what has been going on? at the Mahusiv Climate Shindig in Paris so hang on, far. Hang on, let's put our Mahusiv Climate Shindig in Paris music on. Yes. There we go, there baguette. We baguette. Oh, la bibliothèque. Uh, Avez-vous un pucar? I really don't speak French. <laughs> Um, right, what's going on in Paris, Dave? What's happening? What's going on in Paris? So, all of the world leaders are there talking about climate change. Now, at, we are recording this on the Saturday, which is, what, about five or six days in to the Mahusiv Climate Shindig. By the time you listen to this, whenever that may be, a whole lot of other stuff may have happened. So, all I'm going to say at the moment is that most of the first week appears to have been fairly constructive. 
One of the things they've done is they've got things uh, apparently down to 38 pages. They've got a draft negotiation text thing kicking around now. Um, and at this stage of the Copenhagen talks in 2009, when uh, the last time they had a similarly mahusive climate shindig, apparently the text was at 300 pages or something mm. like that so they've got uh, things down to a more manageable size now most of what's in that document is kind of like things in square brackets which means i tried reading it i tried it was un- it was absolutely unpenetrable impenetrable uh, right because okay, you know I someone said really sent it around saying look it's only 38 pages you know and it's, it's yeah. getting there but i can understand it um, but yeah, so so you know, okay, there's some progress, and and what happens in the second week this week is that ministers will turn up and start debating the work that the underlings have done, basically. But there's been some positive stuff coming out. So uh, Germany and France have committed not to a two degree target, but they said actually we should be aiming for a one and a half degree yeah. target, which is basically given that we've done one degree already, it's basically saying we almost have to kind of stop now, which mm-hmm. is yeah, pretty blinking. Good. And there's been, I think, a lot of relatively positive. We've talked a bit already about the big wadge of money that Bill Gates has lot of talked about. And there's India have announced 120 countries coming together to spread renewable energy. And some and of them they want to burn loads of coal. Yeah, you haven't talked about that so much, have they? Um, and some of the smaller, most vulnerable countries have been very vocal and demanded that everyone pulls their fingers out of their bottoms and gets on with it. OK, Um but some of the big things aren't sorted, basically, yet, let's face it. Uh, we Are we going to end up with a deal that keeps temperatures to two degrees or one and a half degrees? Well, it doesn't look likely so far. What about all the money that the poor countries are saying they should get from the rich countries? That's still a big sticking point. Uh, and basically, is it going to be much good at all? I mean, that's the thing that we don't really know yet, isn't it? Yeah. Well, watch this space. Um, that is a, a, a useful rundown of where we are. Like Dave says, it will probably all be out of date by the time you listen to this because it's moving very fast. But, um, yeah, I think there is certainly a mood of cautious optimism in a way that there, there wasn't in Copenhagen. All the journalists at the beginning of the week were saying it's really different, actually. But it was the, the, the whole kind of vibe was so horrible in Copenhagen so sort of you know cliquey and 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 horrible um and unconstructive and apparently it's it's very different this time but whether you know they're all just going to come back and go we had a lovely time but we're still frying the planet who knows but um Watch this space. And of course, the other thing that we should note um, is that they reckon the best part of a million people went out around the world last weekend, a weekend before last, and marched and protested yeah. and showed their including us. for action, including us. And if you go back to episode 33, you can listen to us on the London Climate March talking to real life, everyday, normal people about stuff. Right, Inhofe time. This is the section named after the Senator Jim Inhofe in the US of A, who's a douchebag because he thinks climate change isn't real and his reasons are there's still snow. So we named a section of the show after him and we look for similarly idiotic people and we've got a good one this week, Dave. Oh my God. Now, (laughs) usually in this section, what we end up talking about is people who have done something a bit irritating. 
right? But this time we are going to take it to the literal spirit of Inhofe of the week because we're going to choose someone who is, like Senator Jim Inhofe, completely batshit mental and who thinks that climate change, which is backed up by the single largest peer-reviewed document in scientific history and the overwhelming consensus of 97% of climate change scientists and everyone and the 150 world leaders currently gathered in Paris. And, you know, um, evidence of things melting and science and, and the stuff f- yes, burning. And- and yes, and basically thinks climate change is made up and not just made up, he thinks that it is a conspiracy. And the interesting thing is, his name is Pierce Corbin. Now, mm. do you recognize that name? I do recognize that name, or I recognize the second bit of that name because it's the same second bit of the name of the leader of the Labour Party, Her Majesty's Opposition. Mm. So, this guy is Jezza's brother. Yes. Now, interestingly, um, he went on. Obviously, you know this. This, he, this guy's a lunatic. We should we should put it, put it out there. His his employment seems to be the Daily Express asking him to say something batshit crazy about weather because that's what the Daily Express write about. Yeah, and so that's how he's kind of made a living until now. No one's paid any attention to him. But obviously, because Jeremy Corbyn is now high profile, people are going, "Ooh, well, should we like should we try and uh, have some fun with his batshit mental brother?" Um, and he went on the Daily Politics this week, didn't he, Dave? You watched it. No, it's a it was a program called This Week, which is on uh, every week, and it's a thing presented by someone who's also been in Inhofe Corner before. Yeah. I think a guy yes. called Andrew Neil. Don't uh, like him either. Don't like him either. But and this is some considerable achievement. Uh, Andrew Neil was the sane and sensible one, and he was interviewing. God, the Pierce world is Corbyn. such a strange place. Isn't Do you it? know what I mean? I'm, I'm just so confused these days. He's asking Piers Corbyn about climate change, basically saying, well, and you know, with commendable patience and calm, are you telling me then that everyone else in the world is wrong and you are right? And Piers mm. Corbyn basically says, yeah. Surely for you to be right, nearly all the world's leaders, from the president of America to the president of China, plus most of the world's climate scientists, are engaged in a, a massive conspiracy to conspiracy well, to hoodwink us. That can't be right. Uh, well, of course, most uh, of the climate scientists, you say, but that isn't true. Uh, of this so-called survey of climate scientists of 12,000 papers, only 0.3% of them actually stated that they, uh, from their work, that CO2 had, man CO2 had been the cause of warming. The other papers said nothing at all. We'll post a link to... Uh to the interview which you have to go and look at and the interesting thing that I think is this I reckon climate deniers Jeffrey Lean off of the Telegraph or formerly of the Telegraph wrote a really interesting piece about this a couple of weeks ago when he said basically it's it is these people are now totally fringe like the the interest for the media of people who think climate change is made up is not as it might have been five years ago because you want to get someone on to show a bit of balance whatever the hell that means it's now so that you can point and laugh at them now, like these people are now yeah. going on telly to be made to look like what they are, which is total arsehats, yeah. right? Um, and <laughs> total arsehats, thing... but also totally irrelevant arsehats. Like that's yeah. that's why it's it's so clear how um, they they're not really damaging anymore because just no one takes them seriously. They no. just look like a very small brigade. It is the tin hat brigade, isn't it? You know, yeah. it's it's total well, the conspiracy theories. <laughs> All I'm going to say is this, right? If you want to see exactly why it is that climate deniers and the likes of Piers Corbyn 
are, you know, just completely risible. Um, have a look at, we are going to post a link to this. I know we always say we'll post links and we, <laughs> we are going to post a link to the presentation that Pierce Corbin gave in which he said, if we're going to have a war on climate change, we should have a war on ants. Because what? ants, well, because ants apparently emit more CO2 than man does. Uh, I've no idea if that's true. It might be. There are an awful, awful, awful lot of ants out there. But his idea oh. is, well, <coughs> why would you why would you do anything about human emissions if we're going to allow ants to survive? Let's kill all the ants. Then let's see what we're going to do about this so-called climate change. It's four exclamation just, marks. It's just so mind-numbingly stupid that you still get people saying this. Like in, in political arenas, there's that douche who keeps saying it in Europe. One of the um, yep. UKIP MVP, sorry, Europe. You know, this idea that... Other things emit CO2, therefore us emitting CO2 isn't a problem. It's about how much there is. It's the balance. Come on. Schadenfreude of the week. So, Schadenfreude. This section hasn't been in a show for a while, but it's lovely to have it back. Um, Well, you know what Schadenfreude means, and if you don't, I'm not very good at explaining it. So let's plough on. We are looking at, uh, well, keen listeners will remember in episode 25, Dave. Very good. Yes, yes, because you told me. Uh, Episode 25, we talked about Volkswagen, naughty, naughty Volkswagen, who it turns out had been lying to everybody about how many emissions, how much emissions their cars were spewing out. How many emissions? Look, yes, I was, come on. My God. (laughs) They've been talking about... that Sony out the window. (laughs) They were caught red-handed. Um, being naughty and you I think at the time said or certainly shortly after said do you know yep. what the really depressing thing is that their sales have gone up you know yep. proving that all publicity is good publicity well schadenfreude time not only for you because you're wrong but more importantly for, for Volkswagen because their sales have gone down 20% in the UK whoops yeah um not, not not a great amount to say about that, really, except mm. for the flim-flam little excuse from the Society of Motor Manufacturers and Traders. Well, what did they dis- say? Well, they said, um, well, where's Arabella? Some fluctuation in monthly registration figures for individual brands is normal, with volumes are subject to a number of factors, including new models and large fleet deals. Oh, wow. That could have been sustainable <laughs> of the week as well, couldn't it? Could Crikey. Some of... fluctuation. What? <laughs> Losing a fifth of your sales overnight. Mm. Yeah, actually, the total number of cars sold was up 4%. Vauxhall got a 26% rise. But you're right. No, it's just, I can't think of any reason why Volkswagens <laughs> would all be down. It's just sounds like a normal fluctuation to me. In response, Volkswagen said the fall might be due to a number of factors. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go on, then. Let's no, hear right. them. You're right. Uh, well, you know, people just start picking cars alphabetically, don't they, at this time of the year, because they're tired. <laughs> Reasons to be cheerful. Oh, dearie me. Well, let's have some cheer. It's reason to be cheerful time. This is the section of the show where we look at the good stuff that's going on. And this week, well, usually, listener, Dave pisses on my bonfire. He bursts my bubble. He rains on my parade because I'll say something's good and he'll go, no, it's not. It's all rubbish. We're all going to die. I don't think he's going to be able to do it this week because the news is... That plastic bag use, see episode... Uh, 25, again. 
Very good, very good. Thank you, Dave. Yes, plastic bag use has gone down by 80% in Tesco's shops since that communist, Stalinist, Trotskyist, horrible um, freedom-encroaching ban on plastic bags has been introduced, which is only like a month or something, isn't it? Uh, yeah, so a couple of months, yeah. People are such simple bags of water, aren't they? Such <laughs> idiotic meatheads, right? How is it possible, when you actually think about it, that you can bung a 5p charge onto something and people go, oh, yeah, you're right, I don't want that thing, after all. Uh, it's, it's phenomenally staggering to me. I'm not going to go on about it again. Go back and listen to episode 25 for more. But it's staggering to me that you can charge 5p for a plastic bag and it, like makes such a massive difference it so is incredible, quickly isn't it? to the amount it's incredible. of plastic bags. The, the extent to which every single transaction went like this, that'll be £2, please, would you like a plastic bag? Yes. And now it goes, that'll be £2, please, or £2 and 5p if you want a plastic bag. Do you want a plastic bag? And people go, no. And that's the extent of it. Like, yeah. It's not a great big sort of intellectual decision and, and sort of torture in your soul. It's like, yeah, okay, well, I won't have a plastic bag. And that's it. Yeah. But I tell you who'll be particularly excited by this news is Thrifty Martin McCaskey from <laughs> Wales, right? Who's and it Thrifty was in Martin McCaskey, Dave? Thrifty Martin McCaskey is a bloke from Wales whose motto... He's got waste a motto. Not, he's got a motto, and it's waste <laughs> not, want not, right? You don't say. Is Martin it, McCaskey has is he the kept first a plastic bag. to have that motto, Dave? I don't know, but he's kept a plastic bag since 1981, oh, and he's God. still using it. He's used it every single day, and because there isn't any news, you know, what with, like, you know, Syria's not, there's nothing much going on in Syria. There's no, no, no climate change to particularly write about, nothing like that going on. The Mirror, which is a newspaper, sort of, um, covered <laughs> the fact that he has now been using this um, for, how long is it, uh, 20, uh, 20, 34 years. 34 years. years. Yeah. Um, and basically uh, he, uh, he uses it every day, this plastic bag. Um, I mean, it's, it's good in a way, yeah. isn't it? I'm sure he's avoided a lot of waste, but it's also just a little bit sad. Oh, get over yourself, Martin McCaskey. I wonder how much the mirror paid him for that. I wonder what he did with the £6,000 the mirror paid him for that. I'm pretty sure he spent it all on porn. (laughs) So that is just about it for this week. Thank you very much, Dave, for being excellent and informative and a little bit phlegmy, but I forgive you. Thank you very much, Ol, for being pretty and beautiful. And all of the stuff behind you being a nice little snapshot of your life. I can see a record player. I can see an iPod. I can see a pile of crap and some wine. And basically, that <laughs> is pretty much summing you up entirely. So thank you very much for keeping me entertained. Uh, you can get in touch with us and tell us what you think of the show. You can contact us on Twitter at The Babble Wagon. Drop us an email to hello at sustainababble.com or find us on Facebook at uh, just find Sustainababble. Thank you as always to Dickie Moore for the music that starts and ends the show. And thank you to my six-year-old niece Arabella who is back with us after a a couple of weeks off um, and delightfully delivered the word of NASA. Uh, So thank you very much Arabella. Um, Right, well we'd better toddle off. You go and get some Kleenex in your hooter and you know, steam your old tubes out, whatever it is you need to do, and um, you get better soon, and we'll see you next week. I will do. A note to American listeners, hooter means nose. <laughs> see you next week. <laughs>